Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. So we spent a little bit of time on Blueprints of Disruption looking at Canadian politics, inside Canadian politics, and that's primarily been the NDP. For two reasons, my proximity to the party, but also it seems quite often like the only home, the only electoral home for progressives and for socialists. But we do know that a lot of left-leaning activists, particularly eco-socialists, have joined the Green Party as a means of pushing for climate action. They too, however, have been largely unsuccessful, right? Particularly in the federal Green Party with Elizabeth May and her centrist ideas that still reign supreme and are clearly not going anywhere. We asked Alex Terrell, the leader of the Green Party in Quebec, to join us for a discussion on his efforts within that party. We asked him if all his years at the helm in Quebec, whether it's been worth the trouble. We ask him whether or not he thinks electoral politics are a viable avenue for the change we need in the time frame that we have. His answer actually surprised me. Let's listen in. All right. Welcome, Alex. Please introduce yourself to the Blueprints audience. Hi. So great to be here today. My name is uh, Alex Tyrrell. I'm 34 years old. I've been the leader of the Green Party of Quebec uh, for nine and a half years now. Uh, during that time, uh, I've really pushed uh, eco-socialism. So the Green Party of Quebec under my leadership has become an eco-socialist, multicultural, feminist and federalist political party in Quebec. And uh, I've also uh, done a lot of work trying to uh, push the Green Party of Canada to adopt eco-socialism, including making two attempts at running for the leadership. That's a lot. And that's your Green Party experience, right? Um, wow. Nine years and you're you're so young still. You really got at that at an early age. And the Green Party wasn't your first party either. Uh, No, that's it. So I started with uh, the NDP. I went to my first NDP convention at age 18. It was in 2006. The NDP was having their federal convention in Quebec City. So um, I wanted to go and observe that. They put me in touch with some local people from my riding association. And I ended up volunteering in the 2008 and 2011 uh, election campaigns. Um, But then when Thomas Mulcair took over the leadership of the NDP, uh, he brought it significantly to the center. And, you know, I really didn't recognize myself in Thomas Mulcair's NDP. At the same time, it was 2012, right? We had a huge student uprising in Quebec uh, that I was uh, participating in, uh, you know, just as somebody marching in the streets. I was actually arrested twice, both times unconstitutionally. Uh, for uh, for protesting because they had brought in anti-protesting uh, legislation. And uh, that's what sort of prompted my shift to provincial politics was the student movement. And the fact that the Green Party of Quebec at the time was, uh, you know, a center left wing party that was for Canadian federalism, uh, but that was also supporting free education, a number of very progressive policies, uh, you know, and the fact that people from the party reached out to me led me to to run for the first time at age 24. Uh, one year after that, the leader of the party uh, resigned. And uh, so there was a leadership race in the party with uh, five or 600 members. So I did everything I could. I called each and every one, one by one, told them that I wanted to unite the party around progressive uh, values, that I wanted to uh, put an end to a lot of toxic infighting that we had within the party. And I was lucky enough to win it by uh, 13 votes in September of uh, 2013. That's a close margin. Do you think the Maple Spring, did it, you know, we hate using this word because it isn't all that radical. Did it radicalize you? You know, you just needed to demand more of the Orange Party? It definitely shaped uh, a lot of things with respect to my my career and, and with respect to Quebec politics as well. I mean, you know, before 2012, like there was always left-wing people going around protesting different things. But in 2012, it was like a tsunami of people, you know, like coming out and marching and, you know, sort of taking on the police at different times and, you know, calling strikes in classrooms and in departments and universities and then enforcing them, you know, with hard picket lines where people were blocked from going to class because, 
you know, if a strike is voted, everybody has to go on strike. It's not just the people who feel like it. It's a strike is a strike, right? So you had your own anti-scab legislation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it, a strike is a strike, right? So it's like a lot of uh, confrontations and stuff like that took place, and. Um, um, you know, it was incredible to see like these thousands and thousands of people uh, marching every single night. You know, we would meet at 8 p.m. at Barry Ucam and then people would take off in any in any direction. Uh, leaderless protests, you know, weaving their way through the downtown, going the wrong way against traffic, all kinds of things. And, you know, it was a really um, incredible like once in a generation uh, youth movement where people really you know took a stand and they said even though tu tuition in Quebec is relatively low compared to other Canadian provinces at about three thousand dollars a year increasing it by 75 percent is still completely unacceptable and if we don't take a stand for it then future generations will always have to pay more for university so it was a really interesting uh, moment and now it's you know 10 years in in the past right but the pieces uh, of that movement are still very present in, in Quebec politics and, and really that's what I'm trying to do is bring the energy from that movement into a continuation and, and to try and continue to shake up Quebec politics. So I called you into the studio, Alex, to kind of talk about how effective electoral politics are, you know, and whether that can be an avenue for change. And here you are really lighting up talking about... Uh, the student protests in Quebec and their lasting impact 10 years later. Do you feel like you had that same impact with the Green Party over nine years? I mean, I wouldn't compare the, the you know, imprint that the Green Party has made to the student movement, right? Like the student movement was a huge uh, thing. I was only one of thousands of people who participated in that and you know we managed to bring down a majority government one year before their mandate was up uh, and we managed to cancel the tuition hike and and cancel a lot of the anti-protest laws but not all of them so I think that I was your energy success. though like your energy in those two spaces so maybe not as a collective because you know we're not going to say you're going to take credit for the maple spring right. by any means no. But just your time and energy spent, because nine years as the leader of a party, really slugging it out, um, trying to, to pull some real feats off. And, you know, we'll get into that not really appreciated by your federal counterparts, right? Quite quite the opposite. And so I guess it's a bit of a leading, you know, we talked about Dimitri Lascaris's episode just briefly before I hit record. That was called Wasted Energy. Right, just to see where I'm going with that question. Like, do you feel like your time was better or more effectively spent within these leaderless protests or within the kind of avenues afforded to you as the Green Party leader of Quebec within electoral politics? Well, I think that, uh, you know, left-wing movements needed a diversity of tactics, right? And I think that, you know, pursuing things on a political party front is important and that it's important to do things outside of party politics as well you know I've been involved in different indigenous movements and and that sort of thing as well and and you know but I think that ultimately the left has really neglected party politics for a long time and it makes it so that each time an election comes around we have you know almost only right-wing points of view represented by the the major parties and so like I think that the left should invest a little bit more time in political parties and that you know the movements need parties to sort of go with them like you can't just have a movement but that's not represented at all in party politics like to have success you need this diversity of of tactics just like you need direct action and and other means of, of pressuring governments and trying to get attention and trying to get things to move but ultimately I think that the left has neglected party politics for too long and I and I don't think that it's a waste of time okay so it seems bad timing now but can you share, I alluded to it, but can you share with folks exactly, you went through the ringer recently trying to run for the leader of the federal Green Party. I'm going to assume on the premise that you could make an even bigger impact, you know, as to bring eco-socialism to the federal level. You want to tell folks how that went for you? Right. So, I mean, I think that if we had an eco-socialist uh, Green Party of Canada, you know, a party that was really out there on the front lines, uh, you know, fighting for uh, for social justice, uh, you know, being on the front lines of Black Lives Matter, of 
uh, indigenous movements and uh, and also the anti-war movement, which is completely unrepresented in Canadian politics at the moment. I think that there's really a lot of change that we could have uh, contributed to. And uh, by having, you know, these points of view represented by a major political party, uh, you know, that has even seats in the House of Commons, you bring a certain amount of uh, legitimacy and organization to, to these uh, causes and to these ideologies. Uh, but um, that's it. I tried twice to run for the uh, the leadership of the Green Party of Canada. The first time was when Elizabeth May resigned in 2019. I had been a prominent critic of hers from within the party uh, for, for a long time. We had clashed over issues like uh, BDS uh, and, and Palestinian human rights. I was the only provincial leader to support that motion at the convention in 2016. And, you know, really a lot of left-right issues sort of got in the way of any kind of positive collaboration between Elizabeth and I. But when she stepped down in 2019, um, you know, I had uh, been circulating a petition for a resignation after the 2019 election. I thought there was a lot of mistakes <laughs> that were made. I thought that, you no know, No wonder you two didn't get along. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I thought that her position on abortion also is very questionable, especially for the times and the different things that she said during that campaign. Her approach to Quebec uh, was soft on Quebec nationalism, so wasn't really willing to speak out against uh, discrimination of religious minorities here in, in the province. And, uh, and also that her position on the tar sands at the time was completely unacceptable. She had, in the beginning of 2019, released a, a platform saying that we would invest in uh, bitumen upgraders for the, uh, the Canadian tar sands, that we would ban the import of oil from other countries. and and bring Albertan oil to Quebec and refine it here for our use, which runs completely counter to the entire environmental movement in this province. I was, you know, in a really difficult situation there because either I defend this policy or I, or I take my distance from it. I chose to take my distance from it. And I even went to the Alberta tar sands to visit them in the summer of 2019. I launched a petition calling on her to change her position. So. Basically, when Elizabeth resigned, all the journalists were asking her, is this because of Alex Tyrrell? What do you think about him as a leadership candidate, this sort of thing? And I, at the time, said, I'm you know, considering running for the, the leadership. So I managed to build up a huge, huge amount of national media coverage about my candidacy right from the very day that she, that she resigned. Um, but, um, you know, unfortunately, it became clear that Elizabeth wasn't really ready to step away from the party. She had talked a lot about succession planning and this sort of thing, that she would only step down when she had a replacement that was ready and this sort of thing. And of course, you know, another criticism that of uh, Elizabeth was that the party was really very low on diversity, um, had less, um, you know, people of color running than any other Canadian political party. and. I think that, you know, in order to sort of make up for this or try to repair her legacy, she chose to support uh, Annamie Paul, um, you know, based to a large degree on, on her profile. Uh, but Annamie Paul didn't have the experience to, to lead a, a federal party. She had no background as an activist, had only run once um, in, um, for the Green Party and, you know, was not particularly skilled at handling media interviews or any of that sort of thing. So Elizabeth backed this candidate only to, you know, start hacking her down immediately after uh, Annamie Paul won the leadership. Even the day before the leadership race, there was an article in the Toronto Star, Elizabeth May talking about leaving the door open and coming back, you know, if it didn't work out and saying that the future leader is not in charge of the party, that it's the federal council. Of course, the federal council is mostly loyal to Elizabeth. She even had her, it stacked with her husband and his his group of um, supporters, you know, on on the council, and she made these moves right before Anime was elected. So anyway, uh, maybe we're going on a bit of a tangent with this, but um, after Anime uh, left, you know, I there was another leadership race, and uh, a lot of people were hoping that Dimitri Lascaris would run. He had finished second place in the previous uh, race, and uh, really was the leader in waiting, in my point of view. Uh, I encouraged him a lot to run. I think a lot of people thought that that was what was going to happen. That's it. But unfortunately, like, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to spend the time on it. He said that it was too difficult, that, you know, the cards were stacked against him because of Elizabeth's influence within the party, which, you know, was not necessarily incorrect, but I still strongly disagree with his decision not to run because I think that he had everything set up to be able to uh, to do it. And, you know, of course, like this whole th leadership race was sort of planned to favor Elizabeth May from the get-go because it was only six weeks long. 
you weren't allowed to raise money ahead of time. You weren't even allowed to say that you were running until the this deadline that they had. And um, there was no way to meaningfully engage the membership because they didn't share the email address list. So you had no way of contacting really the members directly. This like folks will hear a lot and, and you spend time inside the NDP. This is very reminiscent of how the federal party works, you know, for all of their internal elections as well. Establishment decides who is going to be anointed. You know, we saw that in BC with the premier race. In Ontario, it repeated itself. I've never spent time inside the liberal or the conservative party, but I, I'm curious if, if this is just a cookie cutter approach right across the board, like so very tightly controlled. It's sad, I think, in, in terms of the NDP, I think you can make the argument that Jagmeet is a likable leader. He polls well, right? Like, and he, he handles himself well in most situations. I don't like his politics, so I don't like him as leader. But you could still say from that marketing perspective that we got to win an election kind of approach, no matter what. Um, yeah, sure. Great. But I would argue that Elizabeth May is a detriment to the Green Party because... Of all those questionable positions you just brought up and the fact that she's just been there for so long and now this is just repeating itself, it really discourages the uh, youth that are particularly determined and understand the short timeline that's there and have kind of given May a chance. And yeah, I feel like when I, when I, when I hear the chatter around the, the Green Party, that's where the distrust comes from is her leadership and and people's unwillingness to come from the NDP and go into the green spaces is because they figure socialists are just equally as unwelcome. Um, they really tried to get you this time, though, right? Like, they were not even going to give it a shot. Dimitri got close, right? He was quite close to, to, to winning that leadership the first time, but they weren't even going to get you, give you the, the chance. No, that's it. And especially this time, because, the, you know, the way that the rules set up, you know, were somewhat advantageous towards me. For one, they put in a requirement that you had to have a quite high level of French. Of course, I'm perfectly bilingual, so it wouldn't have been a problem for me, but it reduced the number of candidates in the playing field. And since it was a, a short period of time, it favored somebody who's already relatively well known. And I do have somewhat of a profile within uh, Green Party of Canada. And also that they had scheduled this leadership race to coincide with the Quebec general election campaign. Uh, so I guess they thought that maybe I would be like busy with that and I wouldn't run. But then when Dimitri decided not to run, well, a lot of his supporters contacted me and they said, we need an eco-socialist candidate. You know, do you want to run? We'll support you. And I said, look, uh, you know, I don't recall any other time that somebody has been leading a provincial party through an election and simultaneously campaigning for a leadership of a federal party. But I never it thought of that. You must have been so busy. <laughs> So, but it doesn't mean that it, because it hasn't been done that it's impossible, right? So I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. And in the end, like I could have, you know, really used the publicity from both these races at the same time to generate a lot of attention and potentially pull it off and win the, the leadership, right? So those factors sort of came together and I think that the establishment panicked a bit. And I think that Elizabeth May absolutely did not want to go and debate the future of Green Party of Canada with with me, they're like, no way, no how, right? So <laughs> they, uh, that's it. So they, I bet you missed they... that opportunity, eh? Like, I know, I know, but, like, uh, <laughs> that, cause that was always my favorite part of being a candidate, even just like local, uh, federal election there, just getting to sit at a table with your opponent, your ideological opponents, most, and really laying the argument out and watching them squirm because, uh, yeah, you know that they just don't have the right answer. Yeah. But I would <laughs> So not only to see did they block out. me from the race, but they threw me out of the entire party so that I couldn't even vote uh, in, in the race. And um, so it's very unfortunate. I had a lot of people write to them and stuff like that. And they were pressured. Actually, the president of the party resigned uh, later on, citing my expulsion, amongst other reasons, for her, her resignation and that sort of thing. But... I mean, the thing is now, like, Elizabeth has, like, the deck completely stacked there. It's, you know, her daughter's good friend is the president of the party and stuff like that. Like, it's, you know, it's completely locked up, at least uh, for the moment. And I expect it to stay that way. And, like, Elizabeth has this way of 
telling people, oh no, I'm not in charge of anything, it's the federal council, it's this, it's that, but like, who's the federal council, right? Who's the federal councilors loyal to, who supported their campaigns for federal council, like, you know, so it's really locked up for the moment. She has loyal supporters, like in all decision-making roles um, of the party. And uh, so the left has sort of missed its chance. And I thought that it was really unfortunate that, you know, after my expulsion, that there was no other left-wing candidate that really stepped forward. And I think that that shows, you know, a, a sort of a disorganization, a demobilization of, of the left. And since, like, we were not able to come to the to the table there and to, you know, run a strong eco-socialist campaign, um, you know, I think that we miss an opportunity. And that's why you need to have not just one person or whatever, or a couple, you know, Dimitri and I, like, need more people, like, pursuing this this tactic, but then on the other hand, like we try and bring left-wing people in and they're like, man, this is horrible, <laughs> you know? There's, I'm just like kind of, you see me chuckling there and I know it, it, there's just so so many friggin' parallels. And especially when you say like, there's gotta be more people because the pressure that was put on me to run for the Ontario NDP <clears throat> leadership by the grassroots, because I had been essentially one of such a, maybe like less than a dozen members who are actively vocal and like pushing the party to take more leftist perspectives, to be more inclusive and accessible and transparent and all of that. And I burnt out, like I burnt out. And when that came, I understand all these mechanisms that you're describing. Yes, we have, an, we call it an executive. And then we have a council, provincial council as well. But anything the executive sends down, the council approves, like no exception. And the and the executive simply presents anything that the the director has given them, right? And that's that. So it's it's the same kind of structure that makes it almost impenetrable, right? So you even though running a campaign gives you a platform, I asked Dimitri, you know, did you run to win? I thought maybe you just ran, to, like you actually ran to to win, and he admitted he didn't. Like me, you know, like it was just like you got to air some grievances at the very least. Like at, like you're saying, at least there should have been an eco-socialist message as part of that leadership campaign so people could hear it, even if it didn't win. Right. So that people could start to start to do that shift. But well, I don't know why somebody would run for something without the intention or the willingness to, to win it. Right. Like that. Oh, it's not a willingness, but it's a. And I'd say the opposite, Alex, because I get really disgruntled by folks um, who say they don't want to run because they won't win. That's when I, do you understand? Like, it's not like I don't want to win, that I won't do a good job if I win, that I'm not ready to win and take that position, but that I'm fully aware that I am the biggest underdog you've ever seen and I don't give a shit, right? Someone is going to get up there on that platform and speak against what they're doing. And if you only allow establishment candidates on the slate, they're simply just going to sit there and cheerlead, right, and talk about how great of a party we are, right? And then no work gets done. So, like, it was that kind of approach, right, where win or lose, we're, we're doing it, right? And getting close to winning is just like that that added bonus or maybe a validation, right, that, in fact, that that protest position, that that anger within the party, that frustration is valid, right? So when you, Dimitri got close, that it, it showed that there is a sure appetite amongst Green Party members for eco-socialism. Um, but I think it's those mechanisms that you're describing that keep a lot of people at bay, whether it's the language requirements or the knowledge that this is how it operates behind the scenes. So do I have the energy to spend um, in those spaces rather than in my community on the streets or, or whatnot. So, you know, knowing what you went through and, you know, they've even issued a report now. They had an internal report that acknowledged your expulsion was not just. Um, and, and we all know that now. You still advocate for electoral partic participation by the left, but do you mean in these parties? Like, do you think the NDP or the Green Party are those vehicles? I, th I mean, I think so. You know, like I, I will admit that the in terms of the Green Party of Canada, there we've been set back a number of years by Elizabeth May's return and that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, you're saying that uh, 
you know, Dimitri was, it was difficult for him to run with the establishment against him, that sort of thing. But I think that if the left, we would have been a little bit more organized, you know, going a couple of years back that, well, we could have run candidates for federal council. You know, the eco-socialists did not run candidates for federal council. And it's difficult for us, right? And I've sent people to go and try and deal with the Green Party of Canada before and they end up getting burnt out and they make them sign confidentiality agreements when they're on the council so they can't report back and they can't, you know, go outside for support or advice on what they're doing because they've signed these agreements. So they really, you know, if somebody is there and they're agitating for the left, they can target them and they, it's pretty easy to get somebody to give up a volunteer position like that, right? So uh, a lot of people get burnt out and that's why like something like this would have to be like, you know, very structured and it would have to have people that are willing to go into a very toxic, you know, federal council environment and stand their ground despite the attacks and despite all of the pressure and this sort of thing that's put on them. And, you know, it's something that's very difficult to do that not a lot of people are willing to to do. And, it you know, it's not just something that you would do for like a few months, right? It's something that would have to be a sustained effort over a number of years, right? So that's another challenge for the left in party politics is, you know, getting people to pursue these objectives, not just like, you know, for one convention or one election, but over a sustained period of time. I'll tell you, they are expecting that though, Alex, right? Like, so the work that we did with New Democrat was, didn't start like that, but that would have that's what it became, was connecting leftist executives in riding associations across the country for them to, you know, first just prop each other up, build Twitter profiles and, you know, like the easy stuff. But then 100% it came to organizing around consecutive conventions. Um, I think we did at least three as uh, running as many candidates as we could coalescing the left, you know, so when I ran for party president and was the most successful, like I think it was like 33% of the vote, um, that required, and we did, we brought all the socialists around. There were other socialist presidential candidates, but through discussions with them, they withdrew so that I could be the only socialist on the ballot. I respect them a lot for that and, and very much appreciate it. But I think what I'm trying to say is like we did like there has been massive efforts to get on the executive to fill the council and they just come up with new tools like allowing more labor delegates at convention uh, that are given instructions on how to vote. Right. So even if you do get all the delegates right, you convince everyone, you know, to pay to go to convention and first get elected to go to convention, then pay, then go, um, you're still going to be outnumbered by people getting told who to vote for from their superiors. Uh, and then, like you say, like a few successes were happening. We got folks onto the executive. They were driven out, driven out and, and then harmed, right? Like their capacity to do even work in their communities was sucked from them because of the emotional toll, the time, the energy, and then, you know, what happens to your contacts and your circle of, of comrades and stuff like that. So I just like, I, I cannot speak for the Green Party, but I, and, and I was only a small part of that. There have been, just been such sustained efforts to reform the Workers' Party for so long. I'm just so skeptical that you know, you're going to find a way in the Green Party in time to make a difference for the climate action that we know has the stopwatch going. <laughs> right. So even if you're successful, I feel like I'm, I don't want to discourage you, but that, like I did bring you on here so we could talk about this. Right. If you even if you are successful over maybe two, three years of sustained organizing where you can pull all the leftists out of the NDP and, and get them to to focus their energy here so that we're not divided. You're still in a small electoral party that has a very limited sphere of influence at the moment. And then again, that clock is just still ticking, ticking, ticking. So like, I guess on this show, we spend a lot of time advocating people to seek other avenues. 
but and you you acknowledge a diversification of tactics is needed and i think most people would agree it can't be abandoned but i think this is the efforts that you need that you're describing that could be successful would just it might kill people like quite literally you know yeah i mean look it's it's difficult you know on a lot on a lot of people in these uh, situations and of course like the the demonization of of people who are stirring things up in parties and that sort of thing is is difficult to to deal with and you know i personally i switched to the green party i think that it's you know, a smaller scale organization. And I think that a lot of people from the NDP, you know, in the NDP you have a very large establishment. You have like these labor connections and you have people taking voting orders from their superiors and that sort of thing. The Green Party is a lot smaller. And a lot of people are elected to federal council with just like a hundred votes and stuff like that. So I see that there's a lot more potential to, uh, to, to, to have, you know, sort of like a left-wing takeover of Green Party compared oh, to NDP. Okay. NDP is a long, long standing, <laughs> institution. Is everyone listening? (laughs) (laughs) With a lot of MPs and a lot of stuff that, you know, like the establishment has a much stronger grip. There's a lot more people in the NDP who are there for their jobs and that sort of thing and who want to move up, uh, you know, at all costs. So I think that the Green Party is a more viable vehicle than than the NDP. And, you know, in terms of like the clock being ticking and can we really achieve like everything through this, like, I don't think that you know, it's fair to put like the responsibility for that, you know, on one person or a group of people. Um, you know, for me, the way I see it is that like I'm only one piece of of the puzzle, right? And what I've managed to do through my involvement in the Green Party of Quebec is to anchor it uh, strongly on the left. I've managed to be a voice for multiculturalism within Quebec politics, which is not always easy. Um, you know, we were able to go. Uh, and you know, support the the Muslim community when they were being attacked by different uh, governments. Uh, we even had a woman with a hijab running for office on Green Party banner. Uh, we managed to hold the federal party to account when they were sort of selling out on the tar sands and on Palestinian rights and that sort of thing. I've managed to be in the national news a number of times over the past uh, nine years, and I think that like this is only one piece of it. But I would rather have a Green Party of Quebec or of Canada that's, you know, putting eco-socialism on the election signs, uh, you know, proposing like in this past election in Quebec, we proposed to... Wait, uh, like, did you guys actually have them on your signs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I actually, mean, we're not I, even allowed to say that word in provincial council. I'm pretty sure there's a mute button for you, but <laughs> sorry, that well, just that, for me yeah. that was a big deal. Okay, I, I apologize well, for. I <laughs> I try and put the content back in politics, right? Because I find that there's a race to the center, and that every party is sort of trying to to not say anything that's going to offend anybody. Uh, but we put, you know, against the Quebec Charter values, right, which is discriminatory legislation, we put that on the signs. Uh, every time that I run an election, I have like a whole bunch of different slogans. Um, this past one, um, you know, we had uh, a policy where uh, anybody who owned more than 10 rental units would be expropriated and the people living in the apartments could, you know, either buy them or rent them with, with a rent to buy program. So, you know, we went around saying that like the landlording business is illegitimate and that uh, this housing crisis should be solved by, uh, you know, really cracking down on the landlords, breaking like their sort of hold on the real estate and allowing everyday people to own their apartments. It's actually something that, you know, it might sound a little bit radical and sometimes left when people are like, oh, that's really intense. How are you gonna get that across? But to the everyday person in the street, this sounds like a completely reasonable uh, policy. You know, we put that up on our, on our signs as well. So I think that like it's better to have, it's better for the left and for the environmental movement to have a green party that's like that, you know, that's, you know, against uh, war and, and against like the military industrial complex and that's like holding down these things and fighting against privatization of the healthcare system and that sort of thing. Like I think that it's a positive for everybody to have a green party that's saying that rather than have a green party that's saying like, oh, not left, not right, but forward. Oh, and, that one. You know, yeah. we, we, we don't <laughs> want to tax, increase taxes on the rich, you know, because there are donors and stuff like that. And we don't want to shake things up too much. And essentially, you know, we just present like a liberal platform with a little bit better on environment and uh, and a couple of little th- policies, right? Like, I think that that is damaging actually to the environmental movement. And I think that 
a lot of people in Canada or Quebec, you know, they'll look to the Green Party to say, well, what does the environmental movement want out of Canadian or Quebec politics? And it's our responsibility to define that um, in, in in progressive terms and everything. So, like, if I were not leading the Green Party of Quebec, you know, like, I, I can't really say what would happen, but there's a good chance that it would be a more centrist kind of thing. Um, so I think that my involvement through party politics has managed to shift the discourse to the left ever so slightly, but that that is a valuable thing to have and, and even some people would say essential. So I, you know, sometimes people are like, oh no, but you know, forget party politics, all a waste of time, doesn't change anything. Like I'm not saying that what I'm doing or what a group of people could do in Green Party or anything like that would like change the world or anything like that, but we can be one piece of the puzzle to move the society more to the left. You know, that's my goal is to move Quebec politics as far to the left as possible, as far to inclusion of minorities as possible, and uh, and to call into question capitalism at these key moments during election campaigns. And you know, the way that the public and the media and stuff like that uh, reacts to this is sort of out of my hands. But I think that it is important to put that voice on the table. Absolutely, it's out of your hands, and I'll agree with you there that I. There's no space for worrying about what the temperature in the room is when you have a message to send out, honestly, because that's when it becomes a marketing campaign and not a, a battle of ideologies, right? Where ed there's education that needs to be done on the voter level, right? And these watered down campaigns just don't eat away at that problem at all. And I feel bad because <laughs> in my last episode, uh, we talked about developer money in politics, but I was griping about that there's no politicians out there that uh, talk about the decommodification of housing that oh yeah <laughs> so when you said that i'm sitting there going well great the very next episode that airs proves me wrong but so there you are <laughs> like there is a party out there there is a party leader out there that does absolutely try to challenge the narrative that there are good landlords <laughs> um so i apologize alex well uh, for us you know <laughs> it's ten, we want to nationalize everything that's 10 units or above, right? So technically you could still have those small landlords that have less than 10 units, but because a lot of people like, when you say like, oh, we're against landlords, like, oh, but my landlord lives in the building with us, takes good care. And like, there are certain landlords that do that, right? But they're a very small minority. Most of the time it's these giant corporations that own thousands and thousands of apartments and that just do everything to jack up the rent and that sort of thing. So, you know, by, by putting it 10 units and over, you eliminate those people, at least in the phase in of this project. Uh, well, you know, completely destroying like this capitalist model of, you know, appropriating like thousands, hundreds or dozens even of, of apartments. All right. That, that is surprising. I guess I need to pay more attention to Quebec politics, but I will admit that my language is certainly um, sometimes a barrier there, but um, that shouldn't be an excuse because it seems to be a little bit more exciting than Ontario politics where we just have two liberal parties and, and then Ford Nation. So, um, yeah, pray for us, Alex, yeah. over here. But <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I, you know, the Green Party of Ontario also is known as one of the most moderate uh, Green Parties in, in the country. And, you know, they essentially stick to, uh, you know, th three or four key policies, like fighting the highway expansion and mental health care and, a, you know, a couple of little things like, like that. But they don't call into question the, the capitalist model itself. And they certainly do not advocate for socialism. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that Elizabeth May herself was a conservative, you know. Um, Absolutely. I will give the Ontario uh, Green Party some credit here, which I don't like doing, um, but they were the only party originally that advocated to double the uh, assistance rates for folks on, on disability payments and um, really outflanked the left on that one. So... That was a big deal here in Ontario. There's like half a million people here that are on legislated poverty. And the NDP came out saying they wanted a 20% increase when, you know, that wouldn't even undone what a previous progressive conservative government had done. So it was really disappointing. And then they came out looking like the real shining star there. And their leader actually is quite popular amongst leftists here. I do see them retweeting him a lot. So I think I've even been caught retweeting him once. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I've no, I mean, it's okay, the, you know, it is the Green Party, yeah. right? It is, like, progressive and everything, or more progressive maybe than than the NDP a lot of the time, but, it, you know, I find that it could be 
pushing the debate a lot further than it is. Yeah, and I think there's always this huge disconnect between what the front-facing narrative of the parties are and what the membership are, are advocating for. I think that's even true of, like, your liberal party. I think most people who consider themselves Canadian liberals are peace-loving, you know, like, to a degree, but they also swallow— They'll swallow anything Justin says to them at the same time. But, you know, if they were filling out a poll and are you pro-war, anti-war, I'm sure most liberal would check anti-war, even though they're supporting a party that does the opposite. And, and like, this is just rings through all the parties, um, which... I mean, everybody's anti-war until war breaks out, right? Yeah, and then they pick a side and arm them to the teeth, right? So, uh, yeah, no, we talked about that again before we started recording and the whole, what they tried to pin on you was, you know, you talking about Ukraine. And and as we know, you absolutely cannot be critical of Ukraine at the moment. Uh, In fact, I think it's a prerequisite you add their flag to all your Twitter handle if you are um, a bleeding heart liberal of, of some sort. So... I, I understand the kind of pushback that you got there, and I, I, I'll go on the record as to saying I believe that was completely unfair, and uh, we know you've been validated by that internal report to a degree. Are you going, like, do you still want to be a member of the federal party? Are you going to get your membership back? I mean, there's a report, as you mentioned, that says that my the process that led to my expulsion was completely flawed, that it was based to a large degree on false information, that... I wasn't given the time to properly respond uh, to to what was said, but I mean, essentially, their grievances were that I had criticized Elizabeth for being too friendly to the Tar Sands during the 2019 election, and that uh, you know by uh, by criticizing NATO um, for the situation in in Ukraine, uh, that that is somehow you know completely unacceptable to them and that sort of thing, you know. But um, so. I don't see any scenario where they would um, reverse their decision, especially with the way that the federal council is is stacked with uh, with Elizabeth supporters and that sort of thing. You have to understand that, you know, in this nine and a half years I've been leading this party, I've only managed to have a sit down meeting with Elizabeth once uh, for 25 minutes, um, and uh, she had to leave early and all that. So I mean, there there's not much. Oh, she had to like, leave early, did she? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the old there, trick. There's not much of a way for me to, you know, I've reached out many times and stuff like that. There's no real way for me to work with Elizabeth. The door is completely closed. She was instrumental in my expulsion from the party. She has no reason really to turn around now. She's in 100% control of Green Party of Canada, and you know, despite all of my supporters being outrage and despite having hundreds of people send in letters you know in my support and asking for me to be admitted to the leadership race uh, and the resignation of the president and people on federal council over my case like they haven't moved right so I don't see why they would retreat now and say oh actually you can come back um, so that's <laughs> that's where it stands for for that right and it's a little bit unfortunate but in any case there's not much happening in Green Party of Canada for the next foreseeable future, right? Elizabeth, I think, is, you know, going to be there until the next election, at least. She, I mean, she got less than 50% of the votes, right, on the first ballot in this leadership race. With less than 36% voter turnout? Very low turnout, you know, and I think that that's why, you know, somebody like Dimitri should have run, because, like, he got more votes in his race than Elizabeth got in in this one. You can't say that, Alex. You said it before, and I didn't challenge you on it, because, like, there's just so many personal things involved, right? Because I'm I'm taking it a little personally, just because so many people that I respect and I'm close to, like, really wanted me to do something that I just didn't have the capacity to do that really, I think, would have harmed my mental health, my family life, my financial security so much. Like, And I can't speak for where Dimitri was at, so I'm not saying any of those kinds of things played into it. But, you know, like from a court, like from a coach perspective, you know, all the pieces were aligned and that would have been your ideal quarterback, right? Like, I get it. Like, and, and from your perspective, he should have, cause we could have won like as a team thing. But, you know, I, I just wanted to make that note there. Cause you just never know what, what folks have, right? Like, cause I, I felt that a lot of people were disappointed in me for not, for not running because we knew like, you're saying there would be no change within the party then for quite some time, especially since we seem to be a party that has leaders for a really long time. And um, 
Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I guess I kind of took that a little personal when you said he should have, because I imagine there's a lot of conversations around who should have stepped forward for the Ontario NDP, right? And Jill Andrew was one of the those top competitors that everyone thought if she could challenge the status quo, you know, we could all win. And then we get a statement from her telling like the weight that that carried and the pressures that were put on and the barriers put in place. And you start to get an idea that we wish there were more of us, but it's just like such a battle, you know, outside and inside that it sucks our energy even more. So like, I know you recognize that you talked about burnout. Yeah. I mean, look, I have those pressures on myself too. And obviously if I gave up, a lot of people would be disappointed, you know, but what I compare it to is like a civil disobedience, right? Like, you know, I spent a week over at Ferry Creek and people there are climbing up on all kinds of structures and, you know, putting themselves on the line for arrest and brutalization by the RCMP and this sort of thing, you know? So like I see my, involvement in politics, you know, is being similar to that, right? And those, you know, actions are stressful, right? They're dangerous. Um, you know, they have uh, come with uh, chances of charges and that sort of thing, uh, jail time, all kinds of stuff, right? So, you know, for me to have like some people making some nasty comments online or, you know, to tr people going around trying to get people that work with me to stab me in the back and that sort of thing and, you know, the emotions that come with that and everything is unpleasant and uncomfortable, but at the same time, um, you know, I think that some people have to, you know, take on certain burdens, right, to, to have things ad advance, you know, and when I compare what I'm doing to what other people are doing in terms of civil disobedience, you know, I, I think that, it, that it's manageable, right, but you have to have, like, a group or a larger support network of people doing this. It's not just like an individual leftist here and there that's going to be able to like change this whole thing. Like look how well organized the right and the establishment of both the NDP and the Green Party are, right? Like the left has to compete with a similar level of organization, determination and and persistence also. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I guess my my position is that if someone's going to go through those lengths, I think I would rather them be spent on something more disruptive to our systems. But you've really giving, given me a lot of food for thought in terms of the necessities around engaging still in those spaces. Um, yeah, like I'm personally not in any space to wade into those spaces again at the moment, but I'm more than happy to help people uh, navigate them and do better than I did in those spaces. So, uh, yeah, a good collection of folks willing to kind of rotate in and out and, and fight on those front lines would be very helpful. Um, so, and I feel like the left is divided between these two parties and probably some stragglers in the Liberal Party that just want to win for once, <laughs> vote for a winner, um, and, and are willing to kind of swallow the awfulness that comes with it, unfortunately. But I wish our efforts weren't so divided on that front. That's frustrating, I think, for a lot of leftists, right? We even have a Communist Party that does have a pretty decent membership. Um, and so it's just further kind of divided, even within the electoral sphere. Forget about all, all the other fronts that we fight on with healthcare, education, well, landlords. Is fragmented, right? It's completely fragmented and a lot of, you know, different left-wing ideologies that don't necessarily get along with each other and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's really difficult that way. Like the right wing manages to uh, avoid that kind of division and, and manages to come together under, I guess, a, a big tent and have it be like you know, very right wing, right? Whereas like the left were fragmented into all these uh, smaller groups. And, you know, even like as a left wing person running like for leadership and stuff like that, the number of people that I've worked with, like outside the party were say, oh, I'm running for leadership. Do you want to join for $5 and vote for me? Like, oh no, that's like, that's too much for me there. You know what I mean? Like the solidarity is not necessarily there to support left wing people when they're doing these things, right? Because the ideology comes in and this sort of thing. So. I mean, those are big challenges. Another big challenge is like the media environment. Like there isn't uh, an established left-wing media within Quebec or, or Canada. Like sure, there's different websites and different 
YouTube programs and that sort of thing, but like we don't have the infrastructure at the moment, you know, to support um, left-wing politics, right? Like we're being fed stories like by, you know, the National Post and, you know, by CBC and this sort of thing and the coverage, especially of Green Party, right? It's a little different for NDP, but for Green Party, the coverage is always very sensational. It's very controversy-based and um, very rarely talks about like the policies like of the Green Party and that sort of thing. And then when you have left-wing people within it, like myself, you know, taking a stand against, you know, Canada's involvement in the war in, in Ukraine and criticizing NATO and this sort of thing, well, it's easy for the party establishment to pile on somebody like me because they have the media, the corporate media that's going to help them do it as well. And even CBC, you know, is I would consider better than a lot of media in Canada, but, you know, it has in its mission like this, uh, this notion of uh, nation building, right? So if the nation is like going to war, well, CBC's role is not to question that, it's to build uh, cohesion around like the Canadian nation's, um, you know, projects and ambitions and that sort of thing. So the Canadian nation is going to war, CBC is there to support the war effort, they're not there to call into question. You know, we don't have that many, you know, well-known and well-watched with high viewership, like, left-wing news within Canada. And I think that, you know, if we had that, it might be a little bit easier for left-wing people to become more prominent in politics. Because as it is now, we're just attacked by the, the establishment media. And we don't really have even the, the left-wing, like, podcast sphere, you know, is not really big enough to compete with the, the big-time media. So... Those are a lot of problems that have to be addressed, and that comes back to the diversity of tactics, right? Like the the political party thing is one thing, the direct action, the activism, the marching, but like the media also and giving voice to left wing people is also a tactic that needs to be developed. Yeah, I imagine you have an extra hard time, the Green Party that is in Quebec, just because of your eco socialist label. You know, and I'm not faulting you for it because that that needs to be there, but you know that makes you more of a target than the get along with everyone may, right? The cent- the centrist kind of don't rock the boat may, to a degree. Because um, I feel like they don't really get that many sensational headlines. Like they don't get picked on all that much. We just normally don't hear about them unless there's a, a leadership race. <laughs> right. And there's been a lot of them, I feel like, to, to watch. Um, I wish we had as many. Um, we don't get races anymore in the NDP. So, so what's next for you, Alex? You know, um, a long time is the green. I I think a few times I've been conscious on here going. We've had leaders for a really long time, but you <laughs> yeah. are kind of one of those, right? You've been at this for quite some time. The federal party is at odds with you. Are you digging in as leader of the Green Party? And um, yeah, what's that look like for you now? Well, look, I just finished my third election campaign in Quebec, right? And um, We've got a really good group of people uh, that are in the Green Party of Quebec right now that really support like our, our platform and our values and that want to continue pushing it forward. So for me, I'm happy to, to work with them. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be my full-time work because our votes did go down in the last election. Our funding is cut. And for a while, I was getting a salary of $50,000 a year. Now it's going to be like maybe a quarter of that. Uh, so I have to do some outside work as, as well. But you know, I'm happy to continue leading the party going forward. And I. You know, I wouldn't want to give up and give in and, uh, you know, say that, okay, that that's it. I pushed as far as I can push. I think that I can push it a little bit further. And, you know, I think that uh, there's going to be some critical moments like in Quebec and Canadian politics over the, the next couple of years. And I think that it's important to have a strong uh, left-wing Green Party voice uh, at the table, present in every by-election that comes up and, and, and putting out the message because, like, if we're not doing this work, who will? Right. Centrists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, we got to keep the that that window of debate. The Overton window has to be can include a, a radical eco-socialist perspective, has to include calling into question capitalism, that sort of thing. And, you know, I think that that work is really important to do. So, you know, I would like to, to continue. Obviously, there'll be a leadership review before the next provincial election. Uh, but I think I have strong support from the, the membership and that you know, it's important to to keep pushing this forward. Well, thank you for joining us, Alex. I feel like we could probably 
pull some more people into this conversation in terms of electoral politics and and how it can be made effective again. And um, yeah, we'll definitely keep exploring that. But I, thank you for your time and and your candidness as well. I, I did appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. No, it's always a pleasure to uh, to discuss this uh, with people. And uh, yeah, I think that it would be great, you know, maybe to have some panel discussions about how to uh, how to go about, you know, organizing for the left, uh, either within the uh, the current uh, political parties as they stand, or there's also talk of creating a new uh, federal political party um, that you know, I don't really know that much about, but I know that there's people that are that are talking about it, and you know, we'll see what happens uh, with that. But certainly, maintaining a left wing presence in Canadian politics is something that's essential. Excellent. We're definitely going to explore the possibility of a new party as well. I think, you know, personally, I'm leaning that way just because of my experiences and the structural inadequacies that exist, rather to create something wonderful from scratch. Um, but yes, we will definitely. I'll tell you, you know, in Quebec, we've had different splinter groups from Green Party of Quebec of right wing people who've tried to start like their own parties and all that. And none of them have really managed to go very far at all. And, you know, as much as like the idea of a new federal party is interesting and should be debated, like it could take a really long time for something like that to become uh, mainstream. You know, sometimes like when you create a new party, you have like an article the first day. And then you go into complete media blackout, you know, for years after that. Just ask the People's Green Party. Party. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, well, it's a little bit easier for right-wing parties than for left-wing, eh? Because they have the support of the media establishment and that sort of thing. And they got the, yeah, exactly, the money and the rich uh, donor base and stuff like that, which, you know, eco-socialist par- politics is a little bit harder to raise money, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, than like, if you're Pierre Polyev or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. There's just so many uh, issues that need to be discussed around a new party. You know, the need for electoral reform and different funding rules. It is a slog, but uh, well, I'll tell you, I'm also a, a product of the public financing system here in Quebec, right? Because we have like the most progressive funding uh, regimen from anywhere in North America. Really, like our party is funded based on the number of votes that we get, and our donations are capped at $100 per person per year. So wow. like this is very different. Like every other province, right? The Green Party has got to raise the money, or at least most of the money, to be able to pay just their basic expenses. And like personally, like as a 25-year-old person becoming the leader of the party, like I would have no capacity to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But for each one percent of the vote that you get in Quebec politics, they give you a hundred thousand dollars per year, right? So. I think, you know, the federal, that's one of the reasons also that we have this cleavage between Green Party of Quebec and Green Party of Canada. Green Party of Quebec is not accountable to a donor base whatsoever. We do have people who donate, but such a small amount of money that they can't buy any influence. On the other hand, the federal level, you know, you got people that are donating over $2,000 per year. You got couples that will double that. They're giving almost 5000 per year. And, you know, they don't want to hear about taxing the rich and that sort of thing, right? So it has an influence, like, on the politics of the party. And when Harper cut the, the per-vote subsidy back in 2011, like, this is a, you know, a, 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 a gesture and a, a policy change that, like, was designed to screw up the left, you know? And I don't think that Green Party of Canada would have drifted as far as to the right. And, and to go to the point of saying that we need to continue tar sands if they weren't dependent on a donor base. Yeah, no, I'm glad you kind of uh, added that on at the end, because, again, it goes back to our last episode. We were talking about the the need to take money out of politics, not just developer money. And it's there's so few uh, political spaces that have public funding attached to them. It's a trend that they're trying to reverse in the United States uh, on the local level. But, yeah, oh, lo- it's very important. And I would say that even, you know, in Quebec politics, like the entire Quebec politics has shifted to the left as a result of this funding change. And like, so you have like, for example, the governing party of the CAC, well, then they're getting millions of dollars in public funding every year, right? So they're not being funded by the oil industry and that sort of thing. And as a result, uh, you know, the government, even though I would consider them very right wing and anti environment are like, against like pipeline projects and that sort of thing. Like if they were being funded by the oil companies and, you know, doing don't, you know, donation events, fundraising events where you had oil executives and, you know, people coming and being like, oh, I support oil and here's $5,000, then I think things would be a little bit different. So now we're 10 years into this new financing regime in Quebec and the effects are positive. But on the other hand, the federal level, Harper cut it, well, all the federal parties have gone to the right now. 
So funding is important. Like the public doesn't know that much about it, but it's really, really important in determining policy and making sure that the government decisions are made in favor of the voters and not in favor of the donors. Excellent points. Thank you very much for adding that to the discussion. I feel like, yeah, we've got, again, I feel like the end of every episode, I think of three more episodes that need to be done in order to explain or explore what we've already discussed. And that it's, it's going to happen, right? So uh, I might call you back here, Alex, because I did enjoy this conversation. And uh, again, thank you very much. Yep, be happy to come back anytime. And uh, really a pleasure meeting you for the first time today. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Great, thank you. I just wanted to take a moment to remind folks that your level of involvement, particularly in politics, is entirely up to you. We each have very unique circumstances and limitations. It really is going to take a diverse set of tactics and approaches to transform our society. And there is no wrong way. Only you know where your efforts are best spent. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.